this was the thing in AAR for a long time, and I think even perhaps today, even even more so the case that you know you don't just have a whole lot of just straightforward like theology sections, right? You've got theology and something else, or it's just anything but just talking about God, you know, or <laughs> Jesus, right? Um, it's, it's anything but that because because good heavens that that can't be intellectually serious. So I, I think when he's talking about doing theological theology, I think it's, what he's really saying is, you know, that's really, uh, at the heart of it is just putting God at the center of it, right? That the theology should be about God. And God makes himself known in Jesus Christ. So it should be about God that makes himself known in Jesus Christ. And um, you should know about these other things, but you shouldn't let those kind of things derail your attention from the primary thing. Does doctrine really matter? The Apostle Paul once wrote to a young pastor named Titus, instructing him to hold firm to the trustworthy word he was taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. Welcome to Credo Podcast, where doctrine matters and theological ideas have consequences. Here's your host, Dr. Matthew Barrett, executive editor of Credo Magazine and associate professor of Christian theology at Midwestern Seminary. Welcome to the Credo Podcast, where doctrine matters and theological ideas have consequences. I am Matthew Barrett, your host. If you have entered into my library, or my study as I call it, you may have noticed, um, and if you haven't, well, I would love for you to stop by, but you would notice that I have a whole shelf, actually, dedicated to the works of John Webster. I imagine for some of our listeners, John Webster is a name that maybe you've heard before, you keep hearing theologians quote him or mention him. Uh, for other listeners, I imagine you've never even heard about John Webster before. Uh, why, why would I have so many books by John Webster on my bookshelf? Well, uh, I actually think John Webster is one of the most profound theologians uh, recently, and uh, one of the theologians that actually is prophetic in many ways, uh, setting a certain trajectory Unfortunately, John actually died in 2016, and his death uh, was a bit uh, of a surprise and shock to many as they were hoping and uh, really looking forward to John writing so many more works in theology and dogmatics. Some of the books that he wrote, well, they've influenced so many in so many different circles. And in this podcast, we'll talk about why that's the case, but I just want to mention one of them that has influenced me and one of them that uh, my students will no doubt be familiar with, and that is John Webster's book, God Without Measure. I remember the first time when I read this collection of essays, and I walked away thinking John Webster not only has a profound grasp of the great tradition— he not only has a deep understanding of uh, exegesis and the scriptural texts, but he also seems to be speaking in a way that, uh, as a senior theologian, is not only helping younger theologians return to a classical understanding of God, but actually setting uh, a trajectory for the future as to what theology or even dogmatics could look like moving forward. Well, as I thought about who to bring on the Credo podcast to talk about John Webster, I really don't think I could do better than inviting someone like Tyler Whitman to come on and discuss uh, not just John Webster's writings, which 
some of our listeners may or may not be familiar with, but actually to introduce uh, John Webster as a person, uh, as a theologian, and to share some of his own experiences and the way John Webster influenced him. I am sure some of our listeners are familiar with Tyler Whitman's work. Uh, perhaps you've seen his book with Cambridge called God and Creation and the Theology of Thomas Aquinas and Karl Barth. Or perhaps you've noticed there has been some attention given, some exciting uh, attention given to his uh, soon-to-release book, Biblical Reasoning, uh, Christological and Trinitarian Rules for Exegesis, uh, co-authored with Bobby Jamieson. Tyler is Assistant Professor of uh, Systematic Theology at New Orleans, uh, one of our sister seminaries. I'm at uh, Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and so it's really uh, a treat and uh, quite a privilege to have Tyler on the Credo Podcast uh, as a colleague as well. Tyler, thanks so much for joining us to talk about John Webster out of all people. Well, thanks for having me, man. So, Tyler, Glad I think— yeah, I, I, you know, I've been looking forward to this because uh, you have a unique experience. Uh, you, you know, a, a lot of us maybe emailed with John at one point, or we read his writings, uh, or we heard him speak uh, or give a lecture of some sort, but you actually were one of his students. And just before he died, in fact, uh, you have uh, studied under John. You studied under John for a number of years. And so I'm really excited to talk to you uh, just about your own experience and, and just let you, know, you shed light on uh, you know, what John meant to you. I think the first thing I want to ask you, though, is uh, you know, we'll talk a lot about John's writings, but you know, going way back, uh, we were just talking about this before the podcast. You and I both uh, were at Southern Seminary, and uh, you then left and did your um, your doctoral work uh, with John. And uh, I mean, many out there will be, if they had any interaction with, say, the University of St. Andrews in Scotland, um, they may have come across John at some point. But uh, you may have a unique angle. What, what exactly led you early on to say, you know, uh, I, I think I want, I want to go overseas and study under uh, this guy named John Webster? Well, I think my experience was pretty similar to a lot of other students uh, who found their way over to study with John, and that's just with his writings. Uh, I remember reading uh, Holy Scripture, mm. uh, a dogmatic sketch, a little uh, series of lectures on um, the kind of theology of scripture itself and how that impacts uh, both the setting of scripture and then its, uh, its interpretation, its kind of role in theology. Um, I remember really being impacted by that, just thinking, you know, this is, here's something, someone's talking about scripture and, and kind of, uh, you know, tones I had not been accustomed to. Um, and he was talking about subjects uh, within the theology of scripture that I just, uh, were, you know, mind opening. Um, but also I think it was, it was a signal, um, essay of his, or it was just kind of a particularly, you know, when the, the light came on kind of moment for me was when I read uh, theological theology, mm. um, which was his inaugural address when he was in, uh, installed as the lady Margaret chair of divinity at Oxford in the mid nineties. And uh, I just remember being really impressed by that um, essay in particular, as he talks about the 
the nature of theological reason and how it has to be uh, it has to be kind of different and it has to have, be possessed of a of a kind of unique self confidence in not in itself but in the subject matter of which it speaks, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, and how how this does have to result in a, a very intellectually serious form of inquiry, mm. um, but you could really pick up in just the 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 kind of pathos right of oh. of John's writings that this was somebody who was speaking out of a place of deep joy yeah. in in these truths. He wasn't um, trying to score points or you know anything else. He just Jesus excited him, you know, and, um, and so, yeah, I think those two essays just kind of set me on a trajectory of, of kind of discovering who uh, he was. And, and you start realizing that all the people that, you know, you really you know, look up to, and, you know, thinking back in seminary, like, who was it that I was really reading? You know, I was reading everything Kevin Van Hooter wrote, you know, and, <laughs> and others. And, you know, and, and you, you just start to realize, like, even these guys are like, you know, yeah, John Webster is like the man. And uh, <laughs> so I just started realizing like, wow, maybe I need to go study with um, with this guy, you know? And yeah. um, so one thing led to another, right? And um, by the Lord's um, generous providence, we, we were able to go, um, yeah, spend a couple, been four years in Scotland. Yeah. Yeah, I like how you mentioned that because uh, when people ask about John Webster, I always like to say to them, uh, well, John Webster is a theologian's theologian. You know, sometimes we hear about yeah. pastors needing to be pastored, right? A pastor's pastor of, of sorts, and we know people like that out there. Uh-huh. But John is really unique because uh, for all of the theologians out there, he is a theologian for the theologians in a sense. And uh, so, yeah, I, I couldn't resonate more with uh, the way you've you've described him. Now, okay, so you you pick up, your family goes over there. Uh, what uh, what was your first impression of John? Well, my first impression was actually uh, a visit that some family members paid for us to take to go uh, meet him. You know, when I was kind of deciding between uh, a couple of really good options um, for for me for for PhD studies, um, you know, <laughs> I, I had applied to a couple of places and. Um, the places that, that I'd applied to had all come back with acceptances and only one of those was not going to offer me anything oh. in terms of money. And that was, and that was Aberdeen, uh, where John was. <laughs> so, like the, the other, the other programs were, were fully funded and this one was not. And for some reason though, I just couldn't let go of the idea. And the more my wife and I prayed about it, we just felt like the Lord was kind of not letting us let go. And so we went and visited. And so my first, my first uh, interaction with him, or, or I guess time meeting him, uh, impression as it were, was just sitting down in his office um, in March of 2012 and um, talking to him mm. for an hour. And, uh, and it, was, it was just an hour of talking to him, just realizing, uh, I think he has forgotten more this morning than I've ever learned. Um, <laughs> you know, just, he just really... Um, and, and he was excited, you know, to talk about this theology. And, um, you know, that's not different from a lot of other people, but you could just tell there was just a depth here. Mm. Um, and uh, a kind of, you know, and also a breadth that was just staggering. So I just, I remember walking away from that meeting thinking, I, I need to come study with this man mm. to um, just to, 
to, to learn deeply. And, uh, and so, yeah, it was weird. The Lord, uh, really kind of confirmed to us that we should go study there and he provided for us. And, and it was just, it was kind of a, a miracle. Cause I remember speaking with John that time and you know, at the end of the meeting and he's like, well, you've got, you know, like no, the university's not going to give any money. He's like, the, you know, he was just kind of joking around with me about how cheap they are. And he was just <laughs> like, well, I, I, I guess you'll have to go to one of those other places because they're going to give you the money and you have to kind of go there. And I'm yeah. like, well, we'll see. And he's like, I mean, I'd love for you to come. And, uh, you know, but, but he, he was pretty thinking about it very practically. He's like, you can't get in the bed over this, you know? And, yeah. So when I told him like, yeah, we're, we're coming. He's like, Oh, okay. Good. You know, <laughs> <laughs> if you um, want to, to get into debt, go ahead. <laughs> your, your funeral, man. So, yeah. uh, you know, uh, but, um, yeah, the Lord provided and we were able to do that. So, wow. um, yeah, that was my first impression. <laughs> I was just kind of sitting down just being flabbergasted by how much this guy knew. Yeah. Um, yeah. which was, which was me just kind of, you know, asking questions and him just saying, Oh, have you read this book? You know, and right. you're like, why would I have read that book? Or, or you, you should think about this issue over here. And I'm me thinking like, are we having the same conversation? But then like you go <laughs> rummage around in that topic for a couple of weeks and all of a sudden you're like, Oh yeah, why hadn't I looked at this before? You know, like you just realizing that he really knew what he was talking about. Yeah. That was what, um, yeah, that was what I really excited me. And then meeting several of the students and just seeing the collegiality and, um, you know, everyone just saying like, oh yeah, you're like, don't think about this for two more seconds, but come study with John and you won't regret it. And, and they were right. So <laughs> it's just kind of a, it was a good, it was a good sale. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I had an interaction with John when I was overseas, I was teaching, uh, my family was living in London and um, I was, I was writing on uh, the doctrine of scripture. And of course, John had written so much. Uh, on on the doctrine of scripture, including his his book Holy Scripture, um, as well as you know those collection of uh, his essays and the domain of the word. But uh, I remember uh, at one point interacting with him and him being so gracious. Um, it you know at one point him uh, saying you know you need to think about this, uh, which I had not thought of before. Uh, at another point. Mm-hmm. Um, the two of us actually uh, having a an agreement about you know evaluating a certain aspect of um, the doctrine of scripture, and uh, I just remember coming away from that experience uh, being very grateful that he could be so first of all so generous uh, in, in the midst of all the students he was teaching uh, to take time, but at the same time also so genuine, um, not just ge- uh, generous mm-hmm. but genuine to actually uh, give attention, even in uh, very slight matters, small matters that uh, that he cared a lot about. Now, Tyler, may- maybe we could provide some background here because uh, I suppose, you know, to the listener out there, they if they just go buy a flurry of John's books, they may not understand or realize even that John himself had a bit of a, a journey that sometimes confuses people because they may pick up something that John wrote early on and it sounds very different or or maybe just uh, maybe it's not in disagreement, but maybe it's a different focus than some of the things he does later in life. So uh, can you, and we see this a lot with some of his focus on 
even the the way he's resourcing some of the tradition um, in the last decade of his life as he's interacting with a whole number of figures. I mean, everybody from, you know, uh, you know, not just a Karl Barth, but uh, a John Owen or a Thomas Aquinas. Uh, so can you give our listeners a little bit of insight here? What, how did John progress as a theologian himself? Yeah, I mean, there's been some discussion about that in the uh, years since he's, uh, he's passed away. You know, the, there's, a, there's a, a kind of popular line that John evolved from a kind of somewhat Bardian approach to theology to a more Thomistic kind of approach and stuff. And that one has some initial plausibility if you're just looking at the footnotes. Hmm. But I think it it's actually a rather superficial reading of John's um, theology, and and really what he's up to, even when he's when he's writing those footnotes. Yeah, John from the beginning, as far as I can tell, he you know he, he definitely has interest in classical divinity, you know, um, the, the, of, of the sort you would find in the Reformed confessions uh, in. Uh, authors like like a John Owen, for instance, but you know he really cut his academic piece on modern German theology. So mm-hmm. Eberhard Jungel, and um, and you know if you're dealing with Jungel, you're dealing with Bard. You know that that was kind of his uh, substance. I think of a lot of his early work was writing um, about and on right Bard and and Jungel. That's how he kind of made a name for himself academically. <clears throat> so. But he's, even then, he's writing stuff that, you know, you read some stuff even from like the late 80s, early 90s, he's writing that has more of a constructive feel to it. He's not writing too much of that stuff, but he's, you know, even in his interpretive pieces on Bart, for instance, he's, he's not just reading Bart to kind of like understand what Bart really thought. He's reading Bart for the sake of, you know, doing theology now. You know, he, he has very kind of traditional interests. He's interested in um, you know, God and interested in the doctrine of creation, interested in the shape that these truths have when they're embodied in Christian, um, in the Christian life, right? In the shape of Christian moral action. And from the beginning, I think he's also interested in, in you know, scripture and in the intellectual life and in the settings of theology. So, you know, you look at maybe a decade later, two decades later, when he's writing kind of in the early 2000s and then um, in the early 2010s, I mean, he's still writing about a lot of these same themes, right? Um, the theology of scripture and the doctrine of God, the doctrine of creation, you know, the intellectual life and its settings and, and, and so forth. So it's basically the nature and then of, of, of theology, the, what the older theologians would call the theological encyclopedia. You know, these are very much in, in animating his, uh, his his interests, and he's he's on the way towards developing a full fledged theology. And so, I think that um, you know the, the maybe the preponderance of you know reformed scholastic sources and Thomas Aquinas, and you know popularly in the footnotes as in his later writing, and you know the kind of um, receding appearance of Bart doesn't mean that Bart is no longer important to him. Mm-hmm. It's just that he's, he's feeling his, his way around some other texts as well and, um, and, and fleshing out, I think, interests that, uh, and, and 
and positions that he he sees in Bart, um, but he's kind of giving maybe a, a, a different you know spin on them, maybe uh, putting them in, in a different light and so forth. So, you know, he didn't give up on I think uh, what he thought was good in Bart. He was very critical of. Um, you know, not in a harsh way, but he, you know, he 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 can see clear eyed. I think with uh, with regards to Bart, there, there's some things he really liked about Bart. There's some areas that he thought Bart could have, you know, afforded to take a second pass at things. Um, and I think that's the case. You know, he, he would probably have that same view towards you know John Owen or Francis Turretin or a whole host of other of other thinkers, right? Um, <clears throat> so he was just kind of. He, he, he was generous in the, the sources that he would uh, he would look at and marshal to um, the cause of devoting the um, the police sources of his intellect to thinking about the gospel. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think, uh, especially in his later writing, if he's really thinking about the doctrine of creation and how to give sufficient voice to that, I think he really finds a lot of help in Thomas Aquinas uh, in that regard. And I think he, he, he sees, okay, the doctrine of creation is probably one of those areas where Bart is, is, is uh, for all that he has to say about creation, and I'm looking at the volumes right now, um, right next to my desk, and there's uh, these pink volumes on the doctrine of creation, and <laughs> it's a sizable portion of the church dogmatics. Um, for all that Bart has to say about it, you know, John thought maybe it's not as helpful as some of the stuff that you really find in in, uh, in Aquinas or in Bonaventura or Augustine, you know, some of those older sources. Mm. And so he didn't see, I think, himself as replacing one theologian with another, but it was just supplementing, right? Because um, there's still things he really had liked in Bard. In fact, I remember the final conversation I had with him in person. It was obviously a supervisory advisory meeting. We were talking about the last chapter of my, my thesis and uh, the conclusion. And... Uh, it was probably the, the second to last meeting we would have had before I had turned in my thesis. And he, uh, we started it off by just kind of talking about what he was working on. And he was hard at work outlining the first volume of his systematic theology. He was going to write a five-volume systematic theology with Baker. And um, and he was like, yeah, I just reread Church Dogmatics Volume 1-1 this past week. And <laughs> you know, he was just... I was like, you reread that, you know, and, and, and he was like, and I'm, you know, I'm just now starting to see, I think Bart is right about this, you know, and if only he'd done this. And mm-hmm. so even then, at this very last, you know, late stage of, you know, him reading Bart, he's been wrestling with Bart for decades, he's still rereading and, and relearning things, you know, and uh, that in and of itself is, I think, a good, a good lesson to take away from John. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, if there's, if there's an evolution, it's just in terms of, the kinds of things he's accenting and maybe giving a bit more voice to and some of the sources he finds helpful for that tend to be, right? Um, you know, the fathers and uh, and Aquinas, for instance, right? But yeah. he doesn't really see himself as kind of, you know, taking it back, you know, taking back anything he learned from, from, from Bart. He's just seeing it as those supplementing some of the things he's learned from Bart. And John, I think, had a good eye for learning the right lessons from Bart. Now, Tyler, you mentioned um, early earlier on this essay that first really influenced you in in a significant way, um, theological theology, and I, I think that's a good opportunity to talk about 
not just uh, the sources that John was using, but I think for many people, especially those who are familiar with, say, the university uh, on the European setting, uh, for many people, John uh, spoke with a bit of a fresh voice, if I could say, put it that way. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of this had to do with the context uh, in which he's speaking in. Can you add some insight here? Because um, I think maybe especially in America where seminaries are are common and we even have Christian universities, but that can't necessarily be assumed uh, in other countries. John, of course, is operating in a very unique setting, and he seems to speak into that setting in a way that dare I say, is even a bit prophetic about where theology should go in the future. So let's start here. What does John mean by theological theology? And then in your experience, how did that, um, how did that influence where John thought theology should go moving forward? Um, yeah, I think, you know, theolo- theological theology is a phrase that John is borrowing from um, actually Everard Jungle as far as I understand. And what he means by it is just, he means that theology should, should be a, a discourse that takes its, uh, its cues from really kind of churchly um, themes, if you will. Um, it shouldn't be so preoccupied with its status in the modern university, status as an academic discipline vis-a-vis other academic guilds, you know, he thought there's something that theology can, of course, learn by the uh, by other fields of inquiry, right? And, and and engaging them and so forth. But you know, theology isn't chiefly a conversation of one discipline with another. And uh, you know, I think I think he, he didn't really put a lot of a lot of stock in that. I think primarily he just thought, you know, with a broader maybe uh, historical kind of um, view on things, that theology is really a matter of witnessing to um, Jesus Christ and uh, being obsessed with the gospel and you know being accountable to um, holy scripture right and um, having a sense that the ultimate judge of our faithfulness and our rigor and you know um, the quality of our theology and voice is Jesus himself not necessarily the um, the current obsessions of the uh, of, of this or that academic guild, you know, um, whatever AAR, SDL could pretend to be obsessed about this week, you know, like he, he, he was less concerned with that and more concerned with what does Jesus think about, you know, the things that I think about and the ways that I focus my attention and what I focus them on. Um, so there's, you know, upon hearing that, there is a, a response that would be actually the opposite of what I think John intends by that, which, and that, that response would be, oh, good. So I don't have to actually like read what those other people are saying. And I can just kind of pick up my Bible and my systematic theology and go, you know, do my work and with my nose, you know, kind of buried in the ground or my head buried in the ground. And that's not really what John was doing, right? Um, so I don't think John really advocated for that. And that's not really what he was saying. He wasn't saying that you shouldn't be aware of, you know, the, the, the latest discussion in critical theory um, and the 
most recent currents in philosophy and the, you know, the current sociology and, you know, history and, and so forth and so on. He, he himself was actually very conversant with all these things. He just thought, um, don't mistake that for knowledge of those areas and, and, and subjects as like, as kind of like vouchsafing for the quality of your, of your theology. And he says, and there's also a danger that in, in, in becoming too well-versed in those things, you start to think that they actually set the agenda for theology. Hmm. And so I think that was really in his own context, you know, in the UK, especially in the nineties where he's, he's becoming kind of, um, of course, I, you know, he spends a good time in Toronto in the early nineties. And then he goes to, um, Oxford in the nineties and he's there until basically the end of, end of the nineties, right. Until he goes to Aberdeen and we spent, um, I think, um, the majority of his career over the next 12 years or so, right. Or, or 10 years. But, um, he really saw this kind of approach to theology where theology, I think, evidenced a kind of lack of confidence in the things that it talks about. You know, it talks about, you know, kind of churchly things. And he thought that, you know, well, his kind of sense, I, I get it, of much of the theology going on around him is that it had to be so radically revisionist, so deconstructionist, so, so highly critical, right? it was too clever, right? Mm. For um, just good old fashioned theology. And it was always a conversation of theology and some other subject. So it was very correlationist in its outset or in, in its outlook, right? Uh, and this was really the kind of, this is the thing in AAR for a long time. And I think even perhaps today, it's even, even more so the case that, you know, you don't just have a whole lot of just straightforward, like theology sections, right? You've got it theology and something else or it's just anything but just talking about god you know yeah. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. right? um it's, it's anything <laughs> but that because in good heavens that that can't be intellectually serious and and i thought uh, i think when he's talking about doing theological theology i think it's what he's really saying is you know that's really uh at the heart of it is just putting god at the center of it right yeah. that the theology should be about god and god makes himself known in jesus christ so it should be about God and makes himself known to Jesus Christ. And, um, you should know about these other things, but you shouldn't let those kind of things derail your attention from the primary thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so intellectual seriousness for him, I think, would, would include right studying a lot of these other things and being conversant with them in an appropriate measure, but not letting them derail you, right? And uh, so that you, as, as he puts it in one of his essays on eschatology and anthropology, which is an essay that, exemplifies this very thing. He's very conversant with, you know, um, kind of postmodern currents and anthropology and so forth. And he's basically critiquing them for having an insufficient anthropology, I mean, uh, eschatology. And he says he has this line in there somewhere where he talks about it's important for us to be faithful in our culture, right? Mm. And not to confuse that for being faithful to the culture, you know? And and so that's, that's I think, a good and, and kind of timeless word, right, for, for theologians. And I think as long as you understand what he, what he you know, him in the right sense, and you understand. He's not saying ignore the time and the place where you find yourself. The thing is, don't lose yourself, you know, um, in that kind of uh, critical self awareness of where you are. I mean, that is, given John's lifetime, uh, what you just said, Tyler. Uh, first of all, thank you, because uh, I think a lot, of, a lot of times people ask, what does John mean by theological theology? And the way you just described it is, is so helpful as a definition. But of course, in John's uh, lifetime, in his context, this was a bold thing to say. 
would you agree uh, that, yes, of course, this, you know, in John's context, this is certainly applicable in the UK, but uh, you've, you've come back to the States. Uh, you're, you're teaching even at a, a Southern Baptist school now, seminary. Yeah. How applicable have you also found this to be in the States with the way that, uh, you know, American Christianity is portrayed? Oh goodness. It's, um, <laughs> it's extremely, it's extremely, yeah. Um, where to begin? So, and we're not to begin. Um, you know, I think it's really, it's really important actually. Um, I think it's vital that we, that we actually hear what John was saying and, um, and he's not the only one saying it, right? Um, I think it's more important than, than hearing. I think we do it. Uh, you know, something I, I kind of, uh, I tell friends all the time, and I'll even tell students this, is that, and I can only speak for Southern Baptists, because I, I am a Southern Baptist, I serve, I serve Southern Baptist churches, you know, uh, and in one of their institutions. And so those are the people I know, right, and, and love, and those are the people whose strengths I, I know intimately, and whose weaknesses I, I, I also know. And I, you know, I talk about how, you know, Southern Baptists were really, were really strong in our activism. You know, it's one of the things that we're just kind of known for is our, is our <laughs> activism, the active life, right? We, if there's something a, a Southern Baptist in the pews wants to know on a Sunday morning, it's usually, what can I do, right? Uh, what can I go do? We're not as good at the contemplative life, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so something I often tell students is you're pointing out that kind of classic dichotomy between the, uh, or, or this kind of distinction, right? Between the contemplative aspect and the active aspect of life. As I'll say, you know, we don't really care about theology a whole lot as, uh, as Southern Baptist. And, uh, you know, th- yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of provocative, a way of, of phrasing it, but sometimes we need a little bit of provocation to kind of wake up. What I mean by that is I think, I think oftentimes we just don't really, you know, when we're thinking through sticky, uh, ethical problems or, um, ecclesiological matters, um, you know, whatever the latest debate is, the theological element of those of that thought process is usually about five seconds long, right? And it zeroes in on maybe a, a fraction of the problem, mm. right? Um, rather than really looking at it in a kind of forward, um, uh, systematic, theological kind of sense, with, with a sense of confidence that if we think long and hard about, uh, you know, our, our confession, um, and about the claim that our beliefs have on us, right? Um, the claim that God has on our lives, you know, and, and, and the, the kind of life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we really think hard about these issues, we'll find, we'll find, uh, solutions to our problems, right? Mm-hmm. And, and maybe we'll even have to, I don't know, do exegesis to figure that out, you know? Um, you know, rather than, than, than kind of opening the Bible and, and, and sitting down and thinking, uh, theologically about things, we often just kind of do what we're best at, which is thinking pragmatically about things. Yes. And so, um, you know, pragmatics trumps dogmatics all the time in our circles. And so, um, if there's something I'm always instilling, trying to instill in my students, it's definitely one of the lessons that I learned from John, which is just trying to teach them a theological way of thinking, you know, just to, the, the, their first que- their, the first question they ask of, of any issue they're facing, whether it's pastoral, right? Because we're often told, well, you know, that theology is good and fine until when you're in seminary, but when you get in the actual pastorate, you know, you'll realize its limitations. And, yeah. You know, there's some truth to that in the sense that like, well, pastoral experience teaches you 
it disabuses you of those kind of like um, hand-fisted, you know, quick <laughs> um, <laughs> answers to things, you know, um, where you have to actually like grow in wisdom, right? And, and know how to uh, apply things. But I don't think theology ceases to be relevant at those moments. I think theology becomes even more important there because you're not going to be able to give people water unless you've dug a deep well. And so I always try to get students to, to kind of learn this kind of theological habit of mind of, of thinking first and foremost, like, okay, whatever I'm thinking through, right? Whatever I'm thinking through, whether or not, you know, how to define a deacon or how to think through uh, sticky issues of, you know, uh, 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 counseling people going through this issue or that issue. The first thing is to say, how do I think about this particular issue in light of God as the beginning and end of all things? And in, with the full counsel of God's word coming to bear on the issue. And I try to teach students that that should be your first question that you're asking your, yourself. And, you, and, and I try to give them some confidence that asking that question is actually going to give them uh, you know, more than just a couple of doctrinal propositions that they don't know what to do with. They just know, well, these things are true and I should affirm them. Um, they actually know how, how, how that finds expression in their lives and how it actually equips them for pastoral ministry or, or just Christian living, you know? Um, so in that respect, I think, you know, theological theology, it's as important as ever. And mm. it applies in our context in different ways, obviously, when it didn't challenge, but it's, it's timeless. And I think it's important for all Christians. So well said. Uh, I have found this to be the exact spot, really. Uh, whenever I teach a class, um, this is exactly where John it really speaks volumes into the lives of my students as well, because you're right. Uh, I think in our context, the pragmatic trumps every time, and it's almost a default uh, position or a default mindset or outlook that uh, doctrine is more or less something you need to check off and something that uh, you need to, you know, you should get it right, but it's it's not relevant, and uh, I need to get on with the real work of ministry. And so, yeah, I, I have I have found that to be so true um, in in our setting. Uh, this is where John is so profound. In one sense, he's saying something that's almost too simple to say. Uh, simply to say, uh, shouldn't we? You know, you think of David's words in the Psalms. Shouldn't we be gazing at the beauty of the Lord? Shouldn't that be what we're about, um, this type of con- contemplating God in this sense and, and then all things in relation to God? Um, but uh, today you can't take that for granted. So, I, I, goodness, I, I have found what you've said, Tyler. Uh, I, I have found that to be true on so many levels. And it's, it's almost as if we're in this bizarre scenario today where because we've been so focused on activism uh, we have forgotten in some ways um, what it means to contemplate God. And in some ways, there's even a bit of hostility towards making that a priority. So this is where I think John is um, not not just uh, relevant, but there's a bit of urgency to, to introduce him. Now, I, I do want to, to ask something else, uh, Tyler, because, I mean, those who are picking up some of your books, and, and by the way, I mean, you're doing some great work here. You're your book, God and Creation and the Theology of uh, Thomas Aquinas and Karl Barth, and then your your uh, book with Bobby Jamieson that's about to release, Biblical Reasoning, uh, Christological and Trinitarian Rules for Exegesis with Baker Academic. These are, are books that I think our listeners just have to get. But uh, in light of our conversation, anyone who's 
you know, picked up uh, some of John Webster's writings, we'll notice, hey, I think Tyler might be uh, might be uh, be influenced by John here. I mean, even that title, right, Biblical Reasoning, is one that, um, well, you can read an essay by John Webster. So tell us, you know, I mean, obviously, your book, God and Creation, I mean, this is, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, this is coming out of your, your dissertation, is that right? That's right. Uh, and then your book, Biblical Reasoning, um, I mean, clearly this is, you know, so much your original work here, but I, I'm noticing, you know, John, his voice kind of in the background, and uh, that's a good thing. Uh, so, so tell us how, you know, how have these two books been influenced by, by John Webster, even if it's more indirectly? Yeah, I, I've seen some uh, interactions with, the, uh, with, the, with my thesis. Um, God and creation in the theology of Thomas Aquinas and Kabbalah, and and I'm I'm just I'm disagree with you on one thing. I don't think all of our all of your listeners need to need to get that book. First of all, it's, <laughs> it's very boring and it's very expensive. <laughs> um, but um, but um, yeah, the uh, if, you know I might tell your listeners instead, just buy me a cup of coffee and I'll tell you what you need to know from it. Um, but um, you know, so I've seen some interactions with it where they think, oh, well, this is a good indicator of where John's going or, um, you know, is this like what I was doing was kind of telegraphing, you know, where John Webster's thought was going or something. And that is, uh, I, I, I think that is a very bold um, kind of reading of the thesis and not one that I think is, is, is very careful. Um, because honestly, I mean, you know, John, um, you know, he, he, he liked what I was writing, but I think he probably would have said things differently. Mm. Um, he really agreed with me in terms of my conclusion. Um, but you know, he was also, you know, he would always tell you, oh, this is great. This is great. You know, keep, yeah, keep going. <laughs> I, I love it. It's great. But he would say it to everybody, you know, like, and so, yeah. you know, all, all of our, all of his students kind of knew like, yeah, like John is just, you know. He wasn't trying to recreate himself, right? Ever yeah. in his students, and uh, and so that's not especially what I was trying to do. I really resonated, I think, with a lot of some of the things that John um, was doing, especially pertaining to the doctrine of God. Mm. And so, certainly, I think a lot of the judgments that I make in, in in my first book, which is basically concerned with what should our doctrine of God look like, and then how do we think about that in such a way that upholds God kind of infinite qualitative distinction from creation, right? We, we, we hold the creator-creature distinction. And, uh, and I wanted to do that not by recourse to a theory of analogy, per se, or to a particular, you know, account of theological language or epistemology. I wanted to do that with, what do we say about, like, God's intrinsic perfection? Mm-hmm. You know, um, how, does, how, how does first-order teaching about just God's perfection itself really do a lot of this work, right? And, uh, and, I, and I tried to trace that out in terms of Aquinas and Bart, and then how do we kind of think in that light? And I, I definitely uh, like more of what Aquinas has to say on some of those issues than, than Bart. But at the same time, the punches I, I throw at Bart are, are pretty soft, you know, and I, and I, and I pull a lot of them. I, I don't really, you know, I'm not, not highly critical. I'm, I, I'm critical, but not super, super critical, because I think there's a lot that's good there. Mm. Um, I think they were about basically on the same page, you know, and they were, they were trying to do the same kind of thing. It's just the devil's in the details. Mm. So, you know, I definitely learned a lot from John because he supervised it. And, you know, I, I tailored the thesis to just kind of get maximum mileage out of my supervisor as far as I could be. I, you know, I was like, hey, here's a guy who, you know, I had stumbled into Aquinas from reading Turretin and John Owen. 
And I just realized, hey, these guys kind of cut their teeth on Thomas Aquinas. Maybe I should too. So I, I, I wanted to do Aquinas. And then I also just thought, well, my supervisor is a, an expert in theology of art. So I should probably learn how to read art and interact with him while I am, am here. That's really how the thesis kind of came together. And then all the questions I was asking just kept coming back to the character of God's relation to creation. And that's kind of where the, the thesis ended up going. But so yeah, it was shaped just by conversation. But obviously the fact that I had already been really tracking with some of the John was writing about the doctrine of God and the nature of, of theology. So I definitely shared some, some some of his views on some issues. But that's not to say that the way I the way that I took some of those, you know, same common starting points, the directions that I went. It's not to say those are the directions John would have gone. And it's also um I guess not to say that he would have uh, approved of the final product, you know, like, so uh, who knows, you know, what would, uh, what we would be holding in our hands today if John hadn't uh, died, you know, we'd, yeah. what, what would volume one look like? But, um, so yeah, I mean, obviously I'm influenced by him, but not trying to, to copy him because I know, first of all, that John would be very disappointed in that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the biblical reasoning, um, I know that we'll have a chance to talk about that on another podcast, but, um, you know, the title is definitely an intentional homage to John, but the truth to be told, the, the idea for that book arose before I had ever studied with John. Hmm. The idea for that book arose in my last year studying for my THM when I was reading Lewis Ayers' book. Nicaea and its legacy, oh, and I was reading book. Augustine's, yeah, and I was reading Augustine's De Trinitate, and I was reading some of Athanasius, yeah. really starting to see how these doctrines were crystallized through the reading of Scripture, and I thought we need something that kind of introduces these doctrines uh, exegetically by showing you the right strategies for reading the Bible, and. Um, so I didn't know what that would look like. And I, you know, kept trying to find somebody to write it with me because I wanted to be, I wanted to co-author it with somebody. And just years later, you know, ended up finding somebody, uh, a friend who was thinking on parallel tracks. And obviously years later, I had been influenced by John Webster in a couple of ways. And so, yeah, he, he ended up becoming a big influence just in kind of the framework of it. But again, how we approach it, the kind of things we're saying, you know, I don't know what John would think about it. Um, well, you know, I'm pretty sure compared to what he's doing right now, it's it's, it's a big bore. You know, um, right? <laughs> well, and that's something that um, you know you had uh, this experience with John, but uh, many others had uh, would would resonate with you uh, just in in briefer, short experiences with John. He, uh, like you said, he he could be so generous. And uh, so affirming, and at the same time, you know, he he wasn't afraid to, you know, take issue with something, uh, you know, a disagreement over how to interpret a certain historical figure or how to articulate a certain doctrine. And so, but that made John all the more uh, likable in a sense, uh, because he wasn't just uh, stating things, uh, but he was actually engaging, uh, engaging others as he did so. So now, Tyler, you know, right. the... I really appreciate uh, you kind of giving some background on those two books. And um, 
And yes, to our listeners, if you get a chance, do take Tyler out for, uh, you know, if you can't afford his book, <laughs> God and Creation, uh, do, do take him out for a cup of coffee. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it'll definitely be worth your time. Um, and make him explain to you uh, in, in just a cup of coffee's worth, you know, what, what he's saying. But um, maybe let me, um, you know, as we kind of wrap things up here, I mean, there's yeah. our time's coming to an end, which is just a shame because... I feel like there's so many, so many different avenues I, I still want to explore. But that said, uh, you know, we could talk a lot about um, John's books, and, and for our listeners here, um, I mean, there's there's too there's too many essays to even mention uh, in our in this podcast. But I would encourage you. Um, I mean, you can go on the Amazon; these will come up right away. Books like God Without Measure. Uh, there's actually two volumes by this title, God Without Measure, uh, Volume 1, which focuses on God and the works of God, and then God Without Measure, Volume 2, which focuses more on virtue and intellect. Uh, you will also, uh, we've mentioned some of these books in our in the podcast already. Tyler has uh, John's John Webster's book on uh, scripture. Um, he actually had, there's two books out. One is um, a collection of essays on scripture the domain of scripture, the domain of the word. But then you can also uh, look at his, uh, his book on scripture itself, which is uh, very profound. But I also want to mention, um, before it gets away with, you know, our time gets away, I also want to mention that there's been uh, a number of, of other books that have come out um, at the end of John's life and, and since then that have been very enlightening. And some of these, uh, well, they're different types of books. Um, for example, Christ Our Salvation. These are expositions um, that have been edited and, and put out there by Lexham Press. You also have another book on um, the culture of theology in which uh, you get, it's another angle into sort of John's outlook. And then there's been um, a book Put together by Mike Allen, edited by Mike Allen, uh, a TNT Clark reader in John Webster, and Mike has put together a number of essays that John wrote. Uh, some of the essays that we've been talking about: theological theology, biblical reasoning. You'll find those in there. And then the last thing I'll say is um, there's been uh, two different volumes published. Maybe there's more. I don't know, but uh, two different volumes published. By those who have been uh, students of John or influenced by by him, uh, one of them is called Theological Theology, uh, Essays in Honor of John Webster, edited by uh, David Nelson and, and, and others. And then the other one's called A Companion to the Theology of John Webster, edited by Mike Allen and David Nelson. And uh, Tyler has an article in there on uh, John Webster and metaphysics. And so... That's just a, a quick, there, there's other volumes out there as well. I haven't even covered all of them, but um, that's just a quick uh, survey for our listeners as you're thinking, where do I start? Uh, wh what books should I pick up? But Tyler, I, I want to turn this back to you and let you have the last word here. Uh, two questions uh, that, I, that I'd love for you to answer for our listeners. Number one is, if someone is being introduced to John Webster's work, perhaps the first time, or maybe they've read a thing or two, but they really want to, to get into it. Where do you send them? And then the second question is this, uh, is there a, a story or an aspect of John's thought uh, that often doesn't ever get mentioned out there uh, amidst all the conversations, but uh, is, is uh, something you actually think is, is worth uh, us paying attention to? 
you know, I think there's a couple of different places people might start. I think both of those are kind of around 2002, 2003. I think Holy Scripture, his book on Holy Scripture, or his book on holiness, which grew out of his book on Holy Scripture. He was thinking, what does it mean to say the Scripture is holy? You know, and so he wrote a book on holiness. And uh, those are both really digestible, kind of easier to read volumes. I mean, we're talking about a man who wrote academic theology here. So, um, but he's also very clear. He's very crystal clear. He's a waste words. Uh, I think those are both really good first uh, stop kind of reading if you wanted to get into uh, John. We don't, you know, they're both relatively short. Also, I think uh, Mike Allen's reader on uh, John Webster's uh, thought would be a really good uh, kind of gateway. And if people are looking to get deeper into things, and I think the later volumes from TNT Clark, Domain of the Word, God Without Measure, Volume 1 and 2, and then the most recent Companion. Um, that you mentioned from Erdman's, um, I think those are good places to kind of dig in a little bit deeper. Now, the element about what about, about John's thought that's maybe not commented upon mm, as often as it deserves credit, you know, I don't know. John, um, I think, I think first of all, people just have to know, let me say something about the man and then about his work. And I think uh, the most important thing I can think of to mention about John uh, Webster, the man, is just his humility and his his generosity you know uh th- those two things you know anyone you actually knew and if you ask him you know what what really kind of you know, sticks out you know and of course they'll mention the sense of humor because he really he was funny he's very funny but <laughs> he's just a very humble man um he he typically i think knew more than anyone else in the room mm. um you know, unless he's in the room with like Oliver O'Donovan. I don't know if anyone knows more on anything than Oliver O'Donovan. But, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, for most other human beings in the world, right, if he's around, then he probably just, he just, he just knew more, um, you know, than everyone else in the room. Um, that was generally my sense, but you would have never known it. Mm. He just didn't wear it on his sleeve. Uh, he wasn't interested in, in, invalidating anyone with his intellect or anything like that. And he just didn't take himself that seriously. You know, it wasn't like an effortful humility. It was just really effortless kind of humility and a sense of humor about himself that was really uh, remarkable that, uh, that led him, I think, to be generous with his time and, uh, and resources to, to other people and generous in his judgments about things. And, um, so that always struck me. And that's something that I, 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 you know, day by day, it's like, you know, that's, that's something I really want to emulate my own life. And, uh, you know, about his work, um, you know, people often will comment, uh, people who, who really have kind of been latching on to him in recent years, tend to be people in kind of evangelical circles. They're, they are themselves trying to recover some of the things that John was talking about, creation, doctrine of God. We get caught up in the kind of things he's talking about, about the divine procession or about the divine attributes or creation of nihilo or something. You know, John, from the very beginning of his work, is very concerned to show how uh, and, and he got this from Bart, actually, how um, the things that we, that, that, you know, confessing, for instance, God's aseity, well, there are moral correlates to confessing divine aseity, right? There are um, ethical kind of implications to that. Um, and I think that is the element of John's thought that perhaps doesn't get enough um, attention is the, in, in, in my opinion, is the fact that 
all these issues he's talking about, Christology, Doctrine of God, Creation, John's very concerned, if you read, like, for instance, God at Measure Volume 2, you really see this, he's very concerned with what kind of, what, what shape does that doctrine give to the Christian life, right? Mm-hmm. And to the world around it and how we engage, engage it. He's very concerned with the interaction of dogmatics and ethics in that, in that respect. And um, so that's also something I think is really important, right? Is that when we're talking about the Trinity or something, you know, I mean, you've written on the Trinity and, and uh, you know, you've been part of these debates in recent years. And, you know, as we talk about these kinds of things, we talk about the doctrine of creation, we're not just talking about abstract doctrines that just kind of, again, that are just propositions we need to make sure that we get right. We can right. cross our T's and dot our I's the correct way. But these things matter because they make a difference for how we live. Hmm. And they, they, they shape not only the content of our faith, but they therefore shape the content of our hope and our love, you know, um, because faith works itself out in love. And, um, and faith looks forward to things unseen, right, with confidence. So um, John was really concerned with that issue. And, and, and you know, it's shot through all of his works. And it's there for those who I like to see it. And I think we need more who have those eyes. Now you can fill up on theology each day by visiting credomag.com. There you will find the latest issues of Credo Magazine with articles on key doctrines of the faith and regular video interviews with Dr. Matthew Barrett, where he answers some of the toughest theological questions of our day. Be sure to subscribe to Credo Podcasts to join the conversation, a conversation where doctrine matters.